0: Welcome to Buildings and Beyond,
1: the podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment
0: by focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health.
1: I'm Rob Aldrich
0: and I'm Kelly Westby.
1: This week I'm talking with Peter Stratton, who is the Managing Director of Accessibility Services here at Stephen Winter Associates. And he's been at this for quite a while. He's been working on accessibility-related topics since back in the 80s or 90s when the first accessibility legislation came out. And he's been helping people comply with the legislation. Uh, We talk a little bit about the history of accessibility requirements, how it differs from codes. They're not always the same thing, which can be frustrating. And basically, what he does, how he helps building owners, designers, developers, Comply with the proper accessibility requirements. Pete, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Rob. So, one of my big um, focuses of this podcast, one of my big interests is to talk more with people in this company. I mean, the company's not huge, 125 people or so, but we do a lot of different things. And accessibility is one of the things that I'm really not very familiar with. So, when you decide to do this podcast, I said, all right, I want to interview Peter Stratton first. All right. And I told you, and you said, fantastic. <laughs> and then you left the country for two weeks.
0: <laughs> That's right. So mm. what's up with that, Pete? I'm back now, though. <laughs> all right. I was investigating accessibility in Machu Picchu.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to the report. Um I guess first we're talking about accessibility and people know what it is in a vague sense. But is there do you have a good working definition or an official definition or
0: working definition? So when we talk about accessibility in the context of what we do here at Stephen Winner Associates, accessibility really means uh, that a building, a space, a facility is in compliance with a requirement or a criteria. <laughs> so, excuse me. So when we say is the building accessible, we really mean does it comply with the requirements that are applicable to the building.
1: Okay, and and the term universal design I hear a lot is that kind of a above and beyond
0: term. Yeah. So there, there are there are many terms. Accessibility is is what we. When we talk about accessibility, again, we mean compliance with a requirement. When we talk about universal design or inclusive design, we talk about sort of going beyond compliance and accommodating the needs of a variety of potential building users versus accessibility, which focuses mostly on accommodating the needs of people with disabilities. Okay. Gotcha. So that's the distinction.
1: And accessibility, the legal requirements for accessibility are a big enough stretch for some people that uh, going above and beyond is, we, we don't get into that too much. Is we, we,
0: we do get into it often enough, but universal design for the most part is not a requirement of federal, state, or local law yeah. or building codes. There okay. are universal design requirements that are out there, but uh, not, not to the extent that accessibility requirements exist. Okay.
1: So when did it start? When did you when did you start working it? When did when did accessibility requirements come on the books? Yeah,
0: well, we've been working uh, on accessibility for many years. I uh, personally celebrate my twenty fifth anniversary here at Stephen Winter Associates this <laughs> month, uh, but we haven't been working on it that long. Almost that long. Um, Many years ago, we were a contractor to HUD's Office of Policy Development and Research. And OPDNR at that time uh, had RFPs out on the street for uh, contractors who, who could get involved in some early research on the Fair Housing Amendments Act. Uh, and that, that was new? That was new at the time, certainly. The law... Uh, Fair Housing Amendments Act of 1988, okay. when we talk about the Fair Housing Act, uh, uh, subsequent to the passing of the Fair Housing Amendments Act, uh, you know, the industry was kind of uh, confused about uh, having to comply with the legalese of a federal regulation and also with the requirements of a building code or criteria.
1: uh, uh, And they weren't there. I mean, there wasn't overlap. So this this was legislation, not building code.
0: This is federal legislation in addition to building code that that was uh, that applied at the time. Um, And an architect, for example, understands building code and criteria, technical standards, and at that time a little bit confused about the legalese of a federal regulation, which they, at that time, learned that they need to comply with. And so there was some early research on what it all sort of really meant for the industry, and we were involved in that early research. And then it sort of snowballed from there. And here right. we are all these years later with a, a significant number of people on the team doing doing a lot of great stuff. Cool. Yeah,
1: cool. very cool. And is it now mostly with developers
0: we're working with I mean what's what's the stretch I mean so our clients run the gamut we work with a whole bunch of stakeholders right so architects developers contractors public agencies uh, and lots of attorneys because it is very litigious as you can imagine and okay. we've got developers and other entities that are sued often for non-compliance with requirements, and we do a lot of that litigation consulting, so working with a lot of attorneys these days. Um, but for the most part, I'd say we, we work primarily with developers and architects. That's sort of the bread and butter. Okay, so new construction. New, new construction? new the, construction, the requirements, depending, also cover existing construction, alterations, okay. renovations. Um, but I think our bread and butter for the most, most part is new construction, multifamily housing.
1: And so is is that separation between legislation and codes still present? Has it gotten better or have has legislation outpaced codes and codes are trying to catch up? How yeah, does, you know, does it, that work? it
0: it's a mixed bag. So in the very beginning, uh, we had the legalese of federal regulations to worry about when we design and construct Facilities, okay. and I'm talking about housing, but we have other federal requirements like the ADA that apply to facilities that are non-housing facilities, like okay. uh, so fair housing. Fair
1: housing obviously is housing, and then ADA.
0: Fair is. housing is housing, yep, yeah, and the ADA is public accommodation and commercial facilities. That's okay. Title Three of the ADA and Title Two of the ADA covers activities of states and local governments. So if the local government does have a housing type of a facility like a shelter, okay. um, although it is housing, it is also subject to ADA Title II because right. it's an activity of a state gotcha. uh, or a local government, I should say. Um, so federal regulations have to be complied with in addition to the building code in the very beginning, many years ago, it was a tough kind of uh, nut to crack. You know, What's more stringent? What takes precedence over the other? Um, I really only need to worry about the requirements of the building code when it comes to access because that's enough to get me in compliance with federal regulation, which is not true. Uh. And so that was the sentiment at that time. You know, and again, we're
1: talking 90s?
0: Or, We're talking early 90s, right. yeah, mid 90s. Uh, now a lot a lot has changed. Mo- the more current editions of the building code, and I'm talking about the International Building Code, way when this all all these federal regulations came into play, we didn't have the International Building Code. We had a number of different building codes like BOCA or the yeah, Southern yeah, Building yeah. Code, right, right. that yep. covered different jurisdictions across the country. Yep. Now, for the most part, we have the International Building Code, okay. and it has Chapter 11 accessibility I gotcha. in it. And it has you know, attempted to, to, to keep up with the requirements of federal law. There are some editions of the International Building Code, for example, that are approved by HUD as safe harbors for compliance with the design and construction requirements of the Fair Housing Amendments Act. A safe harbor is a document that you can turn to that when you comply with that document from beginning to end, you essentially comply with the requirements of fair housing.
1: And so HUD will review a code... And say, all right, this this H- meets all our checklists. That's right. Okay.
0: And HUD has done that, but they stopped at the International Building Code two thousand six, and ah. now we're up to twenty eighteen. Yeah. So HUD is sort of lagging. Building codes okay. have progressed, uh-huh.
1: um, but. And the the accessibility requirements of legislation also have progressed or evolved?
0: No. The Fair Housing Amendments Act has remained uh, the same. The Americans with Disabilities Act has been updated, and there have been criteria that have been updated. Uh, But additions of the International Building Code beyond 2006 have not been approved by HUD as safe harbors for compliance.
1: Okay. All right. So presumably they didn't backtrack on their accessibility measures that's right. but I
0: think things have gotten better and the trend is sort of improved accessibility in okay. the building codes for sure but still not a HUD approved safe harbor all right okay yeah, and it's so not it's that detail. you know there's nothing in the in the in the legalese of the law that tells you that you've got to comply with a HUD approved safe harbor uh, that's just it's just a service for
1: it really to try to make accessibility get accessibility into standard practice because I mean developers, builders have to deal with codes. Architects, everybody has to deal with codes. They know That's how right. to deal with codes. That's right. And now you throw a, a piece of legislation at them and it's like uh,
0: I think know. I would have believed I would have agreed with that statement twenty years ago. Uh. But today for an industry key stakeholder to say, hey look I'm a little confused with this law, or I understand my building is not compliant, but you know I get the building code. I'm not really familiar with. It's I think a little bit too late for that. Uh, it's okay. been right. around for many, 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 okay. many years at okay. this point, and so you know you try to so learn and grow, and and I think what what has changed from now to then is that the industry I think realizes now that. Accessibility really is its own sort of niche practice area. It's the thing. So you to gotta speak. do it. Right. That's it's like right.
1: efficiency. I mean codes didn't used to address efficiency. It was, you know, structural safety, fire safety.
0: You've gotta do it. Right. And yeah. you rely on the accessibility consultant just like you would rely on any specialty consultant, the the acoustics consultant, right? The landscape con- the right. consultant, the mechanical consultant. You know, the architect is not developing or designing mechanical systems and is not doing acoustics probably for the most part. So how can you expect an architect to uh, essentially be paid what they're paid and also understand all of the nuts and bolts of a federal regulation in addition to the building code? I think it's just way too much to expect. So
1: So what what are some of the nuts and bolts? I mean, what what are some of the things that people fail to comply with? Some common things that just require some extra thought or some extra planning or some
0: Yeah. People fail to comply with. That, that, that's a great question. I think what trips people up, uh, and when I see people, I think for the most part, designers or architects and interior designers,
1: speaking as a designer and architect, speaking as,
0: (laughs) as, as, as one of those professionals. Yes. And just based on the experience, you know, what I see every day. Um, all of the, the codes, the, the the federal laws, the state laws, local, local legislation all have what's called scoping criteria and technical criteria. So the scoping criteria is what needs to be accessible, for example, how many building entrances are required to be accessible, how many bathrooms are required to be accessible. And then you turn to technical criteria for uh, direction on how to make an entrance accessible. The okay. clear width of the door, the you know, maximum opening pressure, maneuvering clearance on both sides, the hardware type, closing speed, all of that. Okay. The technical criteria I think are pretty simple. You know, you go to the criteria, you open the book and you follow the steps. The door clearance has to be, or the, the door has to provide a clear width of no less than 30-2 inches measured between the face of the door and the opposing stop when the door is open 90 degrees. That's simple. All right. Um, I think it's scoping criteria in terms of how many, how much that, 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 that sort of uh, confuses architects uh, and designers. And that's where we see, I think, the mistakes being made. Uh, you know, The building code, for example, in New York City requires that all public entrances are accessible. Americans with Disabilities Act requires that 60% of public Uh, entrances are accessible. The Fair Housing Amendments Act requires that at least one primary entrance be accessible. So if you have a building that is subject to a number of federal requirements, which many are, in addition to building code, you've got different scoping requirements, and you've got different technical requirements to comply with. So it's, it's understanding what to apply and sort of what governs, what rule you've got to you've got to follow. And All so right. it's mostly the scoping information that's what trips So it's it's up.
1: not necessarily getting the details right. You know, so something has to be a dimension of X and it's dimension of X plus one inches or, or
0: I Yep. Uh, uh, I want to say yes but then again, when I think about it, you know, the devils in the details. Yeah. It's all about the details, okay. really. Okay. I think it's the scoping criteria that just, if, if you don't iron out the scoping criteria, how many and what right at the onset, and you can continue to design uh, the project, very difficult you to correct. Post, you, you've got yourself in a hole, correct. Uh, when it comes to the technical criteria, uh, uh, you know, Bevels on thresholds, maximum threshold height, clear width at doors. There's lots that we need to think about in order to meet the technical requirements. So to say that a 32-inch door needs to provide a clear width of 32 inches, does a 210-door work? Should you default to a 36-inch door Uh, because you have a different or an odd hinge on a 210-door? Oh, man. So, so. The devil is in the details, right. certainly. Interesting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, and and have I mean have the requirements? I don't, I don't know if hinges is a good example, but is mm-hmm. that is that have has the legislation evolved to kind of make these requirements more practical, more buildable, or or I I mean I think I I think yeah. I heard someone talk about like ranges, and you know it used to mandate a dimension of X, now it's a dimension of X plus or minus. An inch or something, to
0: yeah. Allow so the some the, room. the criteria have, the requirements have definitely progressed. Uh, not as fast as as the law itself, you know. So we've got okay. technical standards that change and 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 develop every so many years. A federal regulation does not do that. The law stays in place. The technical criteria change over time. Um, That said, though, the Americans with Disabilities Act has recently been updated, but the Fair Housing Amendments Act has not been updated, uh. and either have other federal laws. So although although the laws can change, they primarily stay the same, and it's the technical criteria that change. Gotcha. So what was required by a technical standard in nineteen uh, technical standard dated in nineteen ninety eight very different than the same technical standard which is now dated in latest one 2009 2017 coming on board so so there are committees that develop these criteria you know they also learn as 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 we build over time and so one of the things that we often hear is you know is there any tolerance um, you know the requirement is 18 inches a distance of 18 inches between the center line of a toilet and the adjacent side wall, for example. Okay. It's very tough to meet that hard line 18 in construction, right? Construction is not a perfect science. Yep. So the criteria have moved away from that hard line 18 and now contemplate a range of between 16 and 18, uh, which is much, much easier more to comply yeah. with, right? Gotcha. Much more sort of builder-friendly and much more practical, yep. I'd say. Yep, yep. And so, that's where we are with the criteria.
1: So, with with projects that go well, I mean that you're involved. I mean, I, I kind of assume it's kind of a soup to nuts process in involved with designers early on and and through construction and yeah. verifying after construction.
0: How? Yep. So it runs the gamut. Uh, if we if we could have our our wish, of course it would be in it would be to be involved. Uh, s- At schematic design. So we can advise on the direction that the designer is going in terms of designing the units. Uh, Normally, we provide two comprehensive reviews, but we don't only stop at the architectural review, right? We're reviewing all the plan sets, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, Ah. and architectural. So it's just not... Not the spaces, you know. We've got. Uh, what on
1: mechanical? What do What do you have to expect mechanical drawings so for? So
0: we're looking, for example, uh, for information on thermostats, which we usually find. Right. We're looking height. Okay, height of the thermostat. That's right. Uh, often times there are chase walls which obstruct into uh, maneuvering clearance at doors, for yes, example. Yes,
1: I am. I can and so totally the mechanical
0: chases, plumbing chases. You know, there are a whole variety variety of things and often
1: you say mechanical engineers might <laughs> draw ducks where we, they might interfere uh, with somebody? Sometimes,
0: sometimes. I think it's more likely though that we might have a plumbing set that's misaligned uh, or that doesn't align with the architectural set. So for example in a bathtub in a bathroom or a shower we'll see the architect has designed the control wall where the operable parts to the shower and okay. the tub is. All right. The plumbing set may have the same controls but on an opposing wall. And so we often oh. find that right. the plant sets are not aligned.
1: They're mm-hmm. just trying to minimize their plumbing runs. They're trying to make it more right. practical for them. Okay. Well, the architect
0: right. put the controls on an exterior Man. wall, and then in the plumbing, they go from the exterior wall Right? All right. To an interior wall. Yep. And so the building is now constructed with the plumbing on the interior wall because that's what the plumbing set. Because they pull the plumbing set and that's what they're building from. Yep. But there's a reason why the architect put the plumbing controls on the exterior wall. Gotcha. And so when you okay. bust up plumbing controls or c- control locations, that's very, very difficult to fix if it's sometimes <laughs> not possible at all. So
1: so people are doing better in general i mean are people catching on i
0: think people are doing better in general yes you know years ago it was difficult to convince a design team that they should have their uh, plans reviewed and they should have construction inspected along the way during various stages of construction which is what we do um but i think people have learned the hard way Sometimes, uh, as you know, sometimes the hard way, yes, certainly. Uh, I think what's important to realize is that when we're talking about, you know, designing and constructing multifamily housing, if the building is not built in compliance with the design and construction requirements of the Fair Housing Amendments Act, you are violating someone's civil right. And so to violate a building code is one thing, to violate a civil right, Different thing, and that's why you've, you yep. hear about so much litigation that right. surrounds non compliance with the Fair Housing Amendments Act. Gotcha. We used to hear years ago the developer say, We rely on our architect to get this right. They're the design professional. Why do I need to hire a separate accessibility consultant? But they have since learned that they probably shouldn't rely only on the architect. Gotcha. And there are certainly architects gotcha. that are very great at it, uh, but uh, Again, it's it's a very yeah, it's a specialized specialized right. field. It right. certainly is.
1: So, if we were to talk again in five years, what would what do you think we'd be talking about? What would have
0: changed? Wow, five years from now, I I I would say that based on the trend that we are we are seeing now, and you know, our group here at Steven Winter Associates has grown pretty significantly over a very short number of years. Uh, the work is certainly coming in uh, at a good rate. Um, I think that we might see in five years um, probably less of an uptick in litigation. Uh, and hopefully that's as a result of people retaining accessibility consultants to do the work like us. Gotta give the so old plug, it, Rob. Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. <laughs> Get it, getting it right, getting it right the first time. Yeah. And not going through the hard way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So and that that's I think you're you started out as a more on the litigation side and have really tried to migrate more and more with builders, yeah. developers, designers. Yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely started on the litigation side, Uh, you know, at, at, and when we started, there was, you know, litigation was the only way, you know, to hurt someone in the pocket is Uh, the way to get them to learn. (laughs) And so that was the sort of the press uh, in terms of enforcement at that time. Okay. and and at that time the model of course was was cases that involved uh, uh, complaints against industry architects developers, and uh, uh, you know we we today our model is to work on behalf of industry and to help industry navigate litigation should it make its way into lit- litigation and that's what all of our uh, uh, litigation projects now uh, uh, involve you know helping. Industry navigate litigation. And I think that starting in litigation has enabled us to have a very keen sense of of how decisions are made that surround particular issues. You know, what the court might uh, uh, sort of be lenient on, what the court might press, uh, what happens in New York City versus same litigation outside of New York City, what happens in, in, in a jurisdiction when attorney XYZ is involved in the case <laughs> versus the same type of litigation wow. that doesn't involve this particular okay. attorney. All right. And so we've learned uh, that as a result of the business, and I, so that I think that that's the value that we bring.
1: All right. Nice. Yeah,
0: I think so. Anything else? Any other big-picture big accessibility points? Big picture accessibility points. Uh, not that I can think of offhand, Rob. Of course, we, we might need to do a better job in getting this particular office a little bit more accessible. But, you know, uh, this is radio, and you we can, can't you can, see that.
1: You can send me some notes. I'll get right on <laughs> it.
0: I'll do that. Cool. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Buildings and Beyond. For more information about the topics discussed today, visit www.swinter.com and check out the episode's show notes. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. We provide energy, green building, and accessibility consulting services to improve the built environment. Our professionals have led the way since 1972 in the development of best practices to achieve high-performance buildings. Our production team for today's episode includes Dylan Martello, Alex Mirable, and myself, Heather Breslin. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.